This week on Inside Marketing, we'll be talking about parents and advertising. We'll be talking about why, as a segment, they're so much more valuable than just a gateway to kids. I'll be joined by Jill Holtz, who'll give us some great insight in terms of Irish families' attitudes to life, spending, and brands post-COVID. This week, only on Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to Inside Marketing. Today, we are going to talk about a very important segment, parents and the impact that COVID has had in their lives, particularly in terms of future spending and family life. So I'm delighted to be joined by Jill Holtz, founder of MyKidsTime.com and ParentsAndBrands.com. Welcome, Jill. Thanks for having me, Dave. No problem. Ray Sheeran put you put me onto you so you can blame him if this all goes disastrously <laughs> bad and you hate it. It's all Ray Sheeran's fault. Um, thanks, but you know, thanks. How's business anyway, just before we start? How's life and business and things like that? And how's the last 18 months been with COVID? Yeah, it's been good. I mean, obviously everything stopped no mm-hmm. more than any other business and there was a bit of kind of okay. Yeah. <laughs> but timing-wise was actually okay for us because we were uh, we had literally a month before COVID launched this new insight service parents and brands. So actually it gave us a bit of space, Dave, to kind of look at our marketing and mm-hmm. build that up. So yeah, actually timing-wise was good for us and things are kind of going through full throttle now with the advertising and the right. insights. So. Great. So you made the best of it. Um, never waste a good pandemic. That's good to see that you were productive <laughs> in it. So, um, right, we're going to crack on because we probably have a bit to get through. So there's loads on your website and you create like you create a ton of brilliant reports and and just insights into parents in general. And we're going to dig into some of that in a minute. And you've done some research again, which we, we'll cover at the end about kind of advertising formats, specifically talking about parents. So just before we start, I just want to chat to you about a specific piece of research that you've done in relation to COVID and the impact it's had on parents and what their attitudes are to spending. So I mean, when I was talking or when, I, when we were chatting on email, you make an interesting point before we get into this, which is that marketers often miss this point because we, and I do this myself, we tend to think about segments in a very specific way and we often lose sight of the fact that, that parents are people too. So start off there. What do you mean by that in, in terms of marketing context? Yeah, so it's been my experience with My Kiss Time. We launched that in 2007 and we've worked probably with over 500 brands and businesses on digital marketing campaigns. And you'd be amazed at how many marketers forget or choose to ignore that parents don't just buy for kids. So Mm -hmm. kind of that's the first point. I've had numerous conversations with companies and agencies where they really just seem to be focused on kids stuff. And we Mm -hmm. keep saying, well, what about parents? What about this angle? And they just seem to lump parents into kind of a bit of a homogenous bracket of two adults, two kids, they only buy for kids. Um, but actually, we get a lot of feedback through our research that families are really changing and becoming different in profile and that parents really don't like assumptions being made about them. And I think then a second point, Dave, really, is that parents have a, a really wide network when you think about it. So they've got their extended family, mm-hmm. they've school and college friends, They've gone to work, so they've worked colleagues, they've built this network up over the years. And as their children grow, so does that network. So you might have school, sports, yeah. after school, then you've the book club or the five side guys they play with, and all of those WhatsApp groups that you're in. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. that continues over time as well as their income and spending power. So this is a really powerful network, parents, and a really powerful set of consumers and influencers. Because I think as well, marketers sometimes forget that parents really influence and even purchase for some of their close networks. So if you've got elderly parents who don't like to go online, you might be doing some of that buying for mm. them. They'll definitely be heavily involved in choices that you, your parents, your siblings, your kids make. Even the older ones that you think have flown the nest, 
you know, they'll come back and ask for recommendations. Mm-hmm. So I was listening to your B2B marketing podcast with Ian Blake recently about making sure you have brand awareness, you know, not only with the decision maker in the business, but their immediate stakeholder group. And I, I kind of think this is a trick that B2C marketers miss, that building trust with parents can have a positive impact on their wider network as well. Yeah, it's a good point because, we, again, it was a similar type of point that came up on the B2B thing. We tend to think to B2B about about the specific segment that, you know, they're not humans, they're they're completely different. And it's the same thing with parents. So I want to jump in and talk about one of your one of your latest reports that we just, we just mentioned there. Um, and you wrote a really interesting article in today's Irish Times and it, and it is all about the impact that COVID has had on spending for Irish families. So couple of, I love when I see specific research for Ireland because I don't think there's, there's enough of it all the time. So it's great to see some real insight in terms of Irish families. But one of the things I found as I read that piece and the research, there was quite a lot of stuff in there that surprised me. So before we get into the, the meat of it, can you give me just a quick overview, just for context of the methodology, the sample size, how often it's conducted? Is this an ongoing survey or, or some methodology behind it? Oh, yeah, sure. So we actually uh, do two insights pieces every month with parents, but we were really interested and we ran this in March was to do a full one month online survey. And we asked parents in that instance to think ahead to life after COVID and to answer questions about lots of different aspects of family life. And that covered kind of changes in work, um, home life, spending, all sorts of things. And we had 823 responses Mm -hmm. with a really wide variety of family types, ages and a good geographical spread of people across Ireland. Some really, really interesting things came out of that. Yeah, there was. I'll kick off one of the first things. So as we, I mean, when we came into the pandemic, the big question that everyone was having was how long the recession was going to last on the back of it. And But as we adjusted spending and kind of got, I suppose, normalized new behaviors, we've kind of seen that the effect of the expected um, recession is not probably going to happen. Like the economy's done quite well. I know, I don't, and I don't want to sound, you know, just be facetious here. I, I know the pandemic has been particularly bad on a disproportionately small number of people. By and large, not on a micro level, on a macro level, we, it has, hasn't had a huge amount of impact and we don't see a long recession happening. But one of the things that I've, you know, on the back of that, been expecting in terms of in my job, in terms of understanding consumer behaviour and this pent up demand that exists is that we're about to see an absolute windfall and a splurge in consumer spending. But one of the interesting things you found was that certainly when this comes to parents, we may not actually be in for this massive spending windfall, as you might think. So your research shows that this expected cavalier attitude to consumer spending, it may well be overhyped, certainly in the context of parents. So talk to me a little bit about that and what our parents happy with this new found kind of saving habit that they have do you expect are are they going to spend splurge are they going to save what do you think from your research yeah this was actually really striking finding out of this particular research we did you know we've all been hearing and reading a lot about the roaring 20s and -hmm. big splash of cash but we got a very different answer from parents so firstly only four percent of the parents who replied said they plan to blow their savings and 39% said they intend to keep savings that they had managed to accumulate for a rainy day. And some feedback there around rainy day and also um, kind of realisation of upcoming expenditure like college and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then 11% said they would spend a little but continue to save. So there's quite a lot of feedback about it's been great to be able to save and I want to continue. 
And then there was about a quarter, just over a quarter, who hadn't managed to save at all during COVID. It had just been too tricky. They lost one job in the household, etc. So quite a lot of feedback saying, actually, no, want to hold on to what we've managed to save and want to continue saving as well. Yeah, and it, it makes total sense. So I think in some categories, I, I yeah, I don't know how much, how how spend, spend how high we'll be spending or how much we'll be spending. I don't know. We seem to probably overestimate that. In the same way we, we thought it'd be a recession, which turned out to not be the case. I think the expectation of windfall and spending may not happen for lots of categories. Lots of things happened over COVID and, you know, that's not all bad. Lots of good things have come out of COVID. So our, our lives have changed for the good in some ways. So, you know, one of the things we will spend less time commuting, I know our company will be looking at, I think everybody's going to be looking at some kind of hybrid model. So it might be three days, two, three days in the office. Um, so actually your commute, and that makes total sense. So, you know, when you think about categories and um, spending, the, the need, I, I see that myself. We just sold Zara's car last week because we don't need two cars. I'm not going to the office every day. We just don't need to have two cars. So there's less commuting going on, the need for two cars. You can work around it now. You can have one car at the home. So that's one category I think that may be impacted. When we think about future spending plans, what are the type of categories that parents are planning to spend on in the next 12 months? or And what industries or sectors can, can we expect to see some of this consumer spending increase? If, if we know they're going to be a little bit cautious, which companies should be leaning into this? Where will they spend? Yeah, so that was definitely your experience was reflected on the feedback. A lot of um, comments about no no need for the second car, really been happy working from home, no commuting, mm-hmm. um, save money on childcare. So a lot of things there. And I would say overall, there's been a move, a shift to more what you would call conscious consumerism. Mm-hmm. People were saying things like, I think we'll go shopping less <clears throat> as we got used to having less and we've been buying more meaningfully. We'll, we'll also go down to one car or I think we'll spend less on frivolous things. I feel we need less stuff to make us happy. Mm. Um, in terms of where they did mention spend, there were some categories that stood out. Um, holiday. Yeah. So interestingly, holiday abroad mentioned, but for next year, 2022, mm. and that staycations obviously were this year. And I think we've seen that borne out and kind of what's been going on and the media and, and yeah. stories of hotel prices and things like that. So people have gone for the staycation more. A second area was socializing with family and friends mm-hmm. because there were so many missed celebrations and missed family time, uh, missed time with close friends that people really want to entertain and catch up. And they're articulating that they really want want to do that in the homes and gardens, you know, as restrictions allow, maybe more so than necessarily jumping back into the pub mm-hmm. or even eating out. So some interesting things there. And then that was then kind of reinforced by mentions of spend on home improvement, home retail, because we've spent so much time in our houses mm-hmm. over the last year. Um, home spend, I think, will be a real focus for next while and people want to entertain at home. And then Getting back into buying clothing and makeup, so that was interesting. Um, the chance to wear makeup once masks are not required, I think that's going to be a boost for beauty brands. Mm. But parents were saying, you know, they couldn't really wait to get back into the shops when it comes to buying kids' clothes and shoes because they found it so tricky to shop online for those, yeah. um, kind of gauging size, etc. And I think as well, you mentioned more work from home. So the smart office wear mm-hmm. is going to take a hit, you know, 
we don't need to buy workwear so much. So I think really what this means, Dave, for businesses and brands, they're going to have to do an even better job at communicating kind of value and quality to this segment to get them to part with the cash and to kind of uh, understand. They'll need to ensure their messaging and targeting does the best it can so that they can get that share of this, what we're saying is a smaller than anticipated spend. And I think, you know, we say a lot to partners we work with that if you buy for yourself and make a mistake, you can kind of shrug it off. But if you buy for your child and it's the wrong thing, they don't like the taste or the yeah. look or the style, you're really in for trouble. No, so it's a bit like, it. yeah, you were chatting, remember on the conversation with Ian again on the B2B, you might not lose your job as a parent if you choose the wrong yeah. thing, but you'll definitely feel the heat. So Absolutely. I think what that means is parents really have to trust the brands they buy from. But when they do and they feel strongly about a product or service, they're vocal back again to that network. Mm-hmm. I was telling, you know, describing yeah. both positively and negatively. If they have a good experience, you'll tell loads of people. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And they are. I never really thought about that. There are lots of mini, very well connected and influencer networks. So it's not just all about media targeting, it's about messaging as well, which which we'll touch on later on. Yeah. Um, look, when I think about the about COVID generally and the impact on consumer behavior, like it was undoubtedly, maybe no choice, it was the biggest social experiment in history. So <laughs> I, I've read lots of things. It takes 66 days to, to for a new behavior to become a habit or to become kind of automatic. So given that COVID did force lots of new behaviors in certain categories, I know for me, for example, I going to like hardware shops was always a physical thing. I, I don't know why. I'd never think of buying even if it was bags of stones or something like that, I just always go to being here or Woody's and buy those things. And I had to, because they weren't they, they weren't open, I had to, had to shop online. I said, this is so much easier. I don't know if I'll go back to walking around hardware stores or anything like that ever again. But um, so that changed. And particularly in shopping, I think it's quite interesting. So when we think about new behaviours in certain categories in shopping, it's important to try and understand how many of these new behaviours will stick. So there is, look, we, we all know and, you know, e-commerce retailers would lead you to believe that there will be no high street. That's not going to happen, right? I mean, but it's, it's slowly dying, but it's not going to die forever. It's not going to completely die. But actually, when we think about Irish, the research you've done in your study, Irish parents' future plans in terms of shopping, do you think we're going to see them double down in terms of online shopping? Or do you think we're going to see more of them kind of, you kind of alluded to it there, looking forward to return to the store? Because I think, you know, we think quite rationally about shopping as being a transfer of ownership of goods from a company to an individual. It's far more than that. It's an experience that lots of people enjoy, maybe not for kids stuff, but they do enjoy it. So what are the attitudes to shopping behaviours post-COVID? And are there any differences between certain categories? So are people saying, you know, when it comes to cosmetics and all of that, yeah, can't wait to go back into a Brown Thomas and, and, and it's more of a luxury thing. But when it comes to functional stuff, like, you know, I don't know, whatever the case may be, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm only going to do that online from now on. What are those nuances or differences you found? Yeah, so I think it's really interesting and it really comes down to the category when you look at it and dive deep. So from, from research we did on behalf of Retail Excellence Ireland, Um, it showed that parents have been missing the experience of going into retail stores, um, particularly when it comes to buying clothing and shoes, you know, both for themselves. And then, as I mentioned a minute ago, the kids thing is just really tricky. Sizing doesn't seem to be standardised for kids as much. Um, So a lot of online returning. So one parent, for example, on our survey said, I'm looking forward to going in-store shopping but can honestly say I've got somewhat used to online shopping and we'll continue with it too. Mm. So there was a bit of a mix. When we asked them about shopping online versus in-store, 41% of parents said they intend to do an equal mix. 35% say, no, I want to shop back in-store. And then 23% said that they would shop more online. 
So, you know, parents, everybody had to embrace, as you say, online shopping, but we had to. That was the only way you could buy stuff. But I think there's also been a kind of a double effect of Brexit making people parents who might have bought from UK sites or they've even reconsidered using Amazon because they really want to support Irish businesses, Mm. you know, that have been impacted by COVID. So that was another area from that piece we did for Retail Excellence that parents felt there was definitely room for improvement on Irish websites, that they need to be better at updating stock levels, offer competitive delivery charges and definitely easier return options for Mm. those online purchases. So I think if retailers can crack, you know, those things and that's that's a hard nut to crack, but you've got to have good customer service, delivery returns and make it easy for parents to find the goods they need. Then I think online will continue to grow. But there was definitely feedback that they missed some aspects of that. And I think it comes down to that, making it a really good experience. Mm. We also asked them about different categories. Did they prefer in-store or online now? So in-store preferences, top of the list was grocery for parents, followed by clothes, homeware and furniture. And then for online, the preference was for books and technology to be bought that way. Yeah, so it's interesting. And there was one kind of other thing that I wanted to mention here. So there were some recent Cantar numbers about households still spending an extra €200 a week on take-home groceries and about the decline in online grocery shopping. We had actually asked parents about food shopping online versus in-store during the pandemic. And they said, they told us they weren't using online for groceries because either they couldn't get slots easily, probably at the Mm. start of the pandemic when everything went a bit mental, And then they uh, wanted to leave them for more vulnerable customers. And also, it was really one of the few opportunities to legally get out of the house during lockdown when you think about it and escape the kids. So it was kind of interesting that parents really never adopted the the online grocery shopping, perhaps, as much as the kind of wider uh, segments did. Yeah, that's exactly the same as me. We We did it for... A couple of weeks and then I was fed up waiting for you know your man you've got a slot within there I couldn't get the slot that suited you had to work your whole day around the delivery man coming and then and then they've substituted the stuff that you didn't want or like I'm real fussy when it comes to shopping I like a certain like type of it, banana yeah I look at it and go yeah and kind of and it was as much about getting out, getting out of the house as well. So, yeah, because that was one of those things. You think, I wouldn't have thought anybody really enjoyed grocery shopping. And I would have thought that's one of the things that would have said, it's definitely the way forward. But I mean, unless it's scaled up in terms of um, delivery options. And, you know, I, I don't mind in the grocery shopping because I get out for an hour. But anyway, um, again, some of the other impacts, not just in terms of brands, but the impact that COVID has had on the family unit, definitely been an increase in quality family time. So, I mean, I really enjoyed asterisks here not 100% of the time but I really enjoyed being home during that time because my son had literally just turned two about a week before I left the office for the last time and now he's three and a half and I, I feel really lucky because I've, I've been present for that even to kind of just have lunch with him or nip out and have a game of football at the back for half an hour at lunchtime so that's been brilliant you know and the fact that I wasn't stuck in the office because I can tend to it's, I'm under a bit more pressure to kind of finish early if I'm in the office I'm out of sight of the mind I say well I'm not going to be back till half seven it could be half eight it makes a difference when I'm here he's into me going Daddy, you finished work? And I got no, it's only 10 past nine in the morning and I'm not finished yet. So, but do you think quality family time is going to continue as a focus for Irish parents post-COVID? So, I mean, is it a case that parents are going, I know we we had to go a little bit like the office. I don't think people want to work at home all the time. Most people are in the office all the time. It's a hybrid. So if you think about in terms of quality time, I'm sure parents were driven mad. They didn't want to be teachers when kids couldn't go to school. We didn't want all that. And, and maybe some parents are thinking, 
the sooner the better it can get my kids back to after hour school activities and, and get them out of the house is great. But do you think it'll be a hybrid model? Are we going to return to the old way? Or do you think, you know, a lot of families are saying, this was actually pretty good. You know, we started to do things that we didn't do. We, we've appreciated quality family time. It's been forced upon us and now we actually really appreciate it. It's been it's been much more rewarding for us as a family. Will we go back to the way it was? In your research, did, did you pick up any of that in terms of an intent to keep with certain bonding or family nights and that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. So overwhelmingly, the feedback was positive about the changes that there had been a kind of, I think there's been a bit of a sea change based on the feedback parents gave us where they realised maybe because everyone was forced to stop normal life, really, they realised they were jamming too much maybe into their schedules for themselves and their kids. When it came to after school activities, for example, about half of parents said they were you know, very happy for their kids to go back to activities, but it was really because they felt they'd missed out so much seeing yeah. friends, doing sport, doing the thing that they're interested in, if it's ballet or art. So, but over a third said they're definitely reducing the amount of activities right, that their yeah. child does. So that was kind of a, an interesting thing that came out. And when asked what things will permanently change in family life, the number one thing was a change in priorities. Yeah. Number two was having more family time, more quality time with their child. And then number three was the option to work from home more. So I do think it's this hybrid kind of, not just hybrid from work and mm. home life, but maybe in what you do, how you spend your time. And there were a lot of comments like this one, which I just love. My children play a lot more on the street with neighbouring children, rain, hail or shine. And I'm hoping this will continue. Yeah, yeah. We've had plenty of time for family board games and walks rather than rushing to activities and birthday parties. So I think there's been a shift in time spent with kids and what you do together as well. Yeah. And that, like, we even saw it on YouTube and kind of searches for crafts and home-based activities, you know, board games, movie nights, baking, those kind of things. Post-COVID, because it seems to be that that families are going to stick with that and more of a hybrid, like spend more time than they were, but maybe less time than they've been, you know, during COVID because it was forced on them. But it's about a blend. Do you think that's an area that brands should be thinking about who want to connect with family more in terms of messaging or kind of how they can connect with parents to kind of lean into that as a, a messaging strategy in terms of, you know, this quality time together. Because I think it's going to, it's more appreciated and it's going to be more prominent. Do you think brands should try and run after that head on? Definitely. I, I think this is a key opportunity for brands. Um, and, and the great thing is it's really straightforward to create that type of content or messaging because it's all stuff that we grew up with ourselves as well. You know, we're not reinventing the wheel. It's about the old ideas. We're just updating them to now. So we might be sharing those on Instagram or TikTok, but you're still talking to parents about playing cards or making cookies or hanging out watching a movie together. So we do regular analysis on our My Kids Time website and social analytics to see, you know, what's resonating with parents. And and that type of content, let me tell you, went through the roof over mm. the pandemic. So pieces like the 50 best family movies to watch together or 10 card games to play with kids. I mean, they just yeah. got so many views. So I think leaning into that message is only going to resonate with parents right now. And I think there's another angle to this. You know, it's kind of nostalgia as well when you think about it. And mm. it's one of the best marketing tricks out there. You know, we all love to remember our childhoods. You know, as Blind Boy says on his pad podcast, it's a time without worries. You didn't have bills to pay. You didn't have adult stresses. Mm. You know, that's why we love thinking about nostalgic things. So tapping into all of that, I think it's a double win. Really. Yeah, yeah, great point. So it's definitely one. And, and it goes back to, I know we're kind of 
we started off saying don't think about parents as just being parents or humans but I think we can also think about being help for parents so it's alright to talk to them as parents but I think to try and be useful with parents because I think people are, are crying out for that um, we, you touched on travel earlier on and that was probably well travel and hospitality were the, the sectors that faced the biggest disruption so I think it's an area that people seem to really really miss so and, and you know the travel and tourism sector is saying it's going to take years for them to fully recover it's one that I would have thought and maybe everyone's different. Like, I, I couldn't wait to go. My wife is Bulgarian and we went to Bulgaria and I couldn't wait to kind of, I, I love Ireland, but I don't want to stay here for a holiday and it's so expensive. So I love getting out and going to a different country and having, you know, consistently good weather. That's something I, I was really dying to do. But what, what are Irish parents' attitudes to travel and holidays? So is, is there a nervousness around it? Or given that we're, we're at kind of 80% plus vaccinations and we've got herd immunity, are people packed and ready to go or are they still nervous? Because you mentioned it's probably not in the cards for this year. We've probably missed the summer now, but are they going to be comfortable next year going back, travelling and, and travelling abroad? Yeah, so the post-COVID family life survey and then a subsequent uh, drill down that we did on family holidays in particular where we asked even more about that, it really showed that 2022 is the plan for the majority of parents for getting back abroad. That this year they were still slightly nervous about things, but also they did feel that they wanted to support the Irish tourism and hospitality industry. And also take advantage kind of of day trips there was a lot of kind of um, feedback about that about getting to go and explore and you know we'd been confined effectively to what five my 5k and then our counties and just getting to go and so a lot of short breaks were mentioned as well and kind of on when we were saying would you do any of these types of things so people did pick short breaks as well so that's good news because it can be costly to do a whole two-week holiday Mm. in Ireland there's no two ways about it and you're not guaranteed the weather although we had did have a lovely summer I think overall so this year you know again it's really interesting when you look at my kids time and we can see the content views all the Irish travel content that we would have with things like 101 Ideas for Your Family Holiday or Places to Take the Kids, 99 Super Places to Take the Kids this summer, that all, again, got went way up on views. And we haven't really seen the overseas content mm-hmm. pick up that we would have on the site. So it's uh, fascinating to see the content views reflect what people are looking at and thinking about in their lives and then obviously we do the in-depth survey so the other interesting thing just to mention here was a lot of people mentioned that when they were going to do these holidays whether it be in Ireland or abroad they're actually planning to do that with extended family again to make up for lost time so I think that's a change Mm. you know people just went with their little mini family now they're thinking actually we need to take the grandparents we didn't see them or our sister or brother or whatever. So I think the bigger group holidays are, are maybe a bit of a change kind of in the short term as well. Yeah, and even when we think about the implication for content and brands, there's obviously like, you know, if that's what people are interested in, so brands leaning into that and kind of, because a lot of companies who are, lots of companies do sponsored content and things, branded content around destinations and things to do, as you mentioned, but maybe, you know, larger extended family holidays is a really smart thing for brands to be leaning into. You mentioned earlier on this a kind of shift from, the frivolous spending to what you call conscious consumerism. So I know, like again, it's hard. I tend, to, I'm guilty of this an example of one. I think about you know what I do, and then, and I think everyone does that. But when I think about my behaviours, what I miss, I really miss travel. But I miss going for a pint in a pub. No, no, not that I was doing it as often as I would have liked to have done it. But I did miss kind of going out and, and having just a few pints with a couple of my mates. 
we did a, a group of us did a football team squiz and have been doing it on Friday during the pandemic. And that was great because right, we had a purpose. We'd do a bit of prep. It was a bit of crack. But it's not the same as meeting people. We had one in real life there a couple of weeks ago in Smith's and it was a real life quiz. It was great. Like just see people. So I really missed that. But actually when I went down, I'm not going to name the pub. When I went out a couple of weeks ago, before you were allowed back inside, the weather was lovely. It was seven euros for a pint. So what I ended up spending one evening, I looked at that and I said, I could have, that would have done me for three weeks now. It, you know, and, and so... I think I hadn't been exposed to that. It was a bit more expensive and that's fine. I mean, I, I mean, I expected to pay a little bit more because I was sitting outside in a kind of a decent area and sunny, you know, nice place. But I was seven quid's a bit, a bit rich now. So, you know, I, I think once people are, the pubs don't seem as busy to me and I thought they'd be busier than, than they were. And I think people will, will love to go out. But once a novelty of going in for me had worn off, I'm going to be doing it less and less. And I think, so socialising is going to be one thing that I'm just definitely going to spend less money on. So, and again, when I think about parenting, we're definitely reevaluating certain things. We were having a chat the other night and it's like a night at the cinema now looks like a waste of a babysitter to me. So I'm not getting a babysitter to go to the cinema, it's just a waste. So I'm only getting a babysitter to go out for dinner or, or you know, go out for a few drinks or something like that. So, are Irish parents, as you know from your research and your survey, will they be cutting down on restaurants and spending more time at home uh, in food delivery? And, and should businesses, like, like if you think about if you're a restaurant business, if this is a behaviour that's going to stick, should they be trying to create comms and target parents about doing the kind of, you know, like Donald's do the, the family night in, but restaurants that, that had to do delivery during COVID may stop that once they don't need to do it anymore. But should they continue it? Is there an appetite for our parents going to say, we're going out for dinner less as a family, we're going to just do more stuff in the home? So from our research, going back to restaurants was not top of the list for parents. There were a lot of mentions of the fact that the meal kits, you know, the home delivery had been much appreciated. As you say, you don't need to organise a babysitter or pay for taxis, etc. So those options that restaurants and food businesses provided during COVID, the restaurant quality takeaway, the meal kits, they were important for businesses to generate income during that time. Mm-hmm. But parents really valued those. They liked the convenience. They liked the fact that they could still be at home. And, and you know, I don't think that going back to babysitting, yeah, I don't think babysitting has quite picked up again. Yeah. People aren't there yet. So if, you know, if restaurants aren't doing those things, they should maybe reconsider. And I think as well with this trend that I mentioned of socialising with family and friends and Miss celebrations and in fact uh, communions and confirmations were taking place in, in or in more in Galway recently you know so there's opportunities for mm. restaurants food businesses and, and even the grocery sector people are going to either have people around their homes mm. so then food and drink options that make that so, socializing really easy for them that's going to be attractive or the other trend we've seen and was mentioned was they want to meet family and friends somewhere. And if you look at that whole transformation of destinations and food trucks during COVID, you know, places like the Anchor and Bray, their former beer garden is now called the Beachfront and has a load of really good food trucks. Or people follow Julia's lobster truck around various locations in Clare. You know, they look on Instagram to see where they're going to be. So I think this is something that's going to continue. And Board Via had a recent report about the food service industry that mentioned that, that the continued elevated growth in off-premise. So even as the dining in reopens, I think there's still a need for offerings that can easily transition mm. from on-premise to off-premise provide a great experience and I think that's something that parents will appreciate and hook on to you know somewhere where you can take the kids outdoors meet your friends and family be safe enjoy yeah. great food and a great experience on top of that yeah yeah um 
yeah, I totally agree. Um, so we, we started off this by saying parents, they're human beings. You don't just have to think about them as parents. So with that in mind, they, and they have, well, not all of them, but they have disposable income, you know, as like any other groups. Some of them have money to spend. They've saved a bit of money. They have a bit of cash. What generally should brands be doing to try and tap into that audience and to, to try and get parents to incentivize them to part with some of that saving? If you were, if there's some brands listening and saying, you know what, yeah, what, what can we do for to appeal to that audience, not just for kids stuff? What advice would you have? Yeah, so as I said before, across any sector, it doesn't matter what you're I think communicating value and quality to parents um, is going to be key to getting them to spend those savings. I think businesses really need to know what the parent market wants and how to differentiate themselves from their competitors. I mean, there's some really simple things that, that businesses can do. They could look at uh, for example, add-on offerings or competitions that give away family days out. Mm. You know, parents have told us they want to continue spending quality time with their children and <clears throat> they want to meet friends and family. So days out, um, prizes or add-ons are, are a really quick win. Um, if you're in retail, um, offering, you know, continuing to offer bookings for in-store appointments to get help with buying kids' shoes and clothing so that family can get in and out quickly. Or you could offer an advanced wish list service so that items can be ready, you know, if you need a school jumper that you're not having to go in and rummage around. Mm. I think there's opportunities with the um, creating home party bundles. You know, we mentioned that food, drink, decorations, everything ready to buy and collect. And then I think in general, families tend to be a, a price sensitive segment. So yeah. particularly if they have more than two kids. So it's looking at things like how can you price offers and widen beyond two kids to appeal to this market. What businesses ultimately really need to do is talk to par parents regularly for maximum success. You know, we've seen this with the projects we've been running since we launched Parents and Brands. That if you listen to and hear from parents and you ask them what they want, you sense check your offer, your comms, could be your creative, your service, that's all going to help maximize your, your marketing ROI. If you're marketing to parents and you're not working out how to talk to parents and get that feedback, then I think you're missing a trick. Yeah, good point. And on that note, because you know, how do you talk to people in terms of messaging is important and, and formats are important. You've done, you've conducted, it's just hot off the press. I'm not sure if it's released yet or whether, um, I know you sent me over some top line findings on the report, but it was a bit of work that was done to try and understand parents' attitudes to different digital and advertising formats. So what made you do that research? What were you trying to find out or understand and what prompted you to dig into this? Yeah, so Dave, you know, at my kids' time digital publisher, we like to do a regular check-in with our audience. And actually, we made the decision two years ago to take off banner ads and pop-up ads because we felt they weren't what parents wanted and they weren't instrumental in building brand trust for our partners and we had instead moved our focus to on digital campaigns on my kids time towards content social activation and easing and so we felt it was time to kind of ask them again you know you again <laughs> no more than other brands we make assumptions about what parents want so let's check but mm. we were really interested in finding out what parents think of digital advertising so that has been running for about 10 days now and with another 10 days to go to finish that so I, I was giving you a sneak preview yes. of that. Yeah, and it's and really interesting. So we can touch on, I know the figures may change and we can chat about when, yeah. when it's going to be released, but I think it's a great piece of work to do just to understand that because, yeah, it's just great to have that insight and asking people rather than assuming what people like. Like we can often see in terms of engagement and click-through rates on our side and you can infer that they like or don't like certain things. So, but just to get people's attitudes to the not, you know, in terms of what their opinions are. One of the, one of the things that you asked about was attitudes to sponsored content. So, 
What did you find out about that? What, are they positively disposed to, to sponsored content? Yeah, so that was kind of interesting. We asked them what they felt about sponsored content. You know, if they saw a piece of, of content or a video and it was sponsored by a brand, well, how would that make them feel about a brand? And, and just under 40% said it doesn't influence how they feel about a brand. 28% would be more positive. So it seems that when it comes to sponsored content, including videos, they either don't mind it or they quite like it. And one parent said, if I think it's funny or clever, it will make me feel more positive. And if I think it's nonsense, mm. it will make me feel negative. So it does depend a little bit on the kind of content of the video or the article they're reading. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of sponsored content. And then the big thing that came out of this is parents really don't love banner or pop-up ads they were bottom of the list Uh, only 13 percent said they would even click on a display banner ad yeah so spending a lot of money on display ads trying to target parents that it might be time for a rethink whereas when you looked at other types of things when we were asking them social media ads and sponsor content rated way Mm. above display much prefer them yeah and a lot of that would make sense but it's great to be intuitive i'd say yeah that's kind of i I, i'm not surprised by that but it's good to see kind of the numbers between you know or the actual absolute figures on how many people like it doesn't make makes uncomfortable reading for brands who are spending lots of money targeting this group with with banner ads and just kind of say yeah probably not worth doing and but overall i think um certainly from what you said to me i think parents seem to be positively influenced by digital advertising again doesn't seem to be any negative to it and it suggests that parents tend to trust brands that they see in digital ads from so can you expand on that just a little bit yeah, so again, quite interesting feedback that we got was seemed to be, you know, a little bit positive, a little bit negative. Um, just over 40% said that digital advertising from a brand, and that's kind of across lots of different formats, made them more likely to trust them and want to buy them. But really, what they all mostly what they were saying was it depended on both the brand and the ad itself. Right. So, you know, if they already know the brand and the ad is is good that they see, then that's fine. It's reinforcing their perception of the brand, maybe is how that's coming across. Some were indifferent. Um, about 16% said they were less likely to trust a brand. So in, I think they've, people have got used to digital advertising. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not stupid mm. parents. They, they're, they're looking at stuff and they go, yeah, yeah. So it really depends, I think, on whether the brand is known or if it's unknown. Mm. And then what the content of that digital ad is that they see. A lot of feedback about if it's something I'm interested in, then I will go and look at it more. Yeah. If it's not, then they won't. So that in, in some respects, again, parents are people too. <laughs> you know, they're not going to go and look at something just because it advertised a kid's thing. Mm. They're going to think, hey, is this a brand I've heard from? Okay, I'll go and check this out. And actually, my child needs this at this stage. So there's so many variables, isn't there, into yeah, yeah. how advertising and communication hits during the buying process. Um, but on the whole, I would say that it wasn't a negative from yeah. the aspect. They didn't feel that it was a real detraction from the brand. Yeah, and that, that's good to hear. Um, and one of the things that, again, not just parents, this comes up all the time, influencers. Influencers didn't mm. perform that strongly with parents. Only I think in, in your 16% of parents mm. said they're positively influenced by influencers. So there's a number of things going on here. Do you think that people, parents and people are just wising up that, you know, these are influencers that have been paid their guns for hire, you know, they're just another ad format. I don't, they're not 
you know, they'll, they'll promote anything. So I don't place a lot of, I don't trust them to a degree. Or is it a case that, which sometimes happens is, we don't like admitting that we're being influenced by people. So like, I think influencer marketing when it's done well is brilliant. But as long as that, that person you're partnering with, the creator has credibility, they're trusted. You can't have them going out doing product A next week and competitive, completely different thing the week after and saying, this is my favorite. Oh, this is my favorite. It's like when footballers signed for a club and they always go, oh, it's my my dream club as a boy was to play for this club. You said that five, the last five clubs you played for. So you lose a bit of credibility. So, um, and as long as it's clearly flagged as branded content, what do you think about that? Why are influencers not influencing? So I do think that influencers have a part to play in the digital marketing mix. I think, again, it depends on the brand and the influencer. I certainly don't think they're going to go away anytime soon. You know, a lot of brands spend a lot of money there. But what parents seem to be saying in this research is they might pay attention at the awareness stage of purchase. Mm. But seeing or hearing about a product, even if the creator is credible and they trust them, and even if it's correctly tagged, that's not really what influences parents to buy or to try a new product. So it's not at the activation purchase stage. And we actually also saw this on another piece of research we did in January this year, which was around hair and beauty category. We asked parents, you know, where do you buy from? What brands do you like, et cetera? <clears throat> what influences you to try a new product? And we were really surprised that influencers came 11th on the list right. of influences for trying a new product because we thought, particularly in the hair and beauty category, that that would be much stronger influence. But I think, you know, parents are savvy shoppers. They like to hear from other people, but knowing that someone's been paid to promote a product doesn't necessarily convince you to buy it. Mm. I think what's far more um, consistently come across, no matter what the category, whether it's hair and beauty or buying cars or any of that stuff, is recommendations for family and friends. So it's really about... Well, I don't know if you can even call the nano influence now. Mm. You know, we talk about micro influencers. So, uh, you know, it's about tapping into the word of mouth. So we've been working on some projects recently looking at activating parents through word of mouth. You know, that's got much more potential to deliver long-term value to brand because ultimately word of mouth marketing is your best form of marketing. So understanding and seeing how you can tap into how parents recommend to each other and mm. to that wider network is is really interesting, I think. Yeah, and just for a couple of minutes now, so talk to me about your company, your background, or, well, not your background, what your company does, what services, how, what's your business model, what services you provide, how do you work with clients, do you work directly with clients, you work with partners, you work with agencies. But for anyone listening, how does it work? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Well, in a nutshell, we connect brands to parents. So our company that I've been mentioning, My Kids Time Limited, has been in action since 2007, primarily in the digital publishing space. And over that time, we built up a very large, but more importantly, because numbers are vanity, really, they're very engaged and connected. And we noticed that they're very vocal and very willing to give feedback. So we spent some time testing and piloting and ended up building our own private tech platform where we can host tailored qualitative research projects basically on that platform. Mm -hmm. And we launched Parents and Brands, which is that insight service. And it's all about getting that in-depth feedback. So it's great to know that 80% of parents like your product, yeah. but it's even better to know why and to understand what would make them recommend to, that, to other people because that's tapping into word of mouth. 
And also, what actions can you take to communicate and activate the segment and ultimately drive more sales? So that's bringing a third layer of kind of we've got the community, we've got the technology, and then a, a kind of a consultancy and expertise layer. So when we do our projects, what can we infer? What are the highlights? What are parents telling you? But actually, what more more importantly, what can the brand or business do with that? What actions can they take away to drive more sales? You're a publisher as well, so you're, I guess you're working as much working with clients and inside, but you're working with agencies in terms of you know, co-created content and because because you have an audience and you're a publisher in the market. So you mentioned the research there, right? So, and, and certainly you mentioned earlier on, we we're talking about, about brands, how to communicate is uh, to be differentiated. So look, there's lots of research companies around. You know, everybody in, in a marketing department has their preference. What's different about your business and your approach? I think it's the fact that we're this unique hybrid between marketing and market research. You know, we mm. haven't found anyone else out there with the combined offering we have. Um, because of the type of content we publish on My Kids Time, we don't do the clickbait celebrity stuff. It's useful content. The parents come to us through either search, social or word of mouth. They come back to again and again because we give them ideas for themselves and their family life. So that type of parent then is kind of an expert researcher from the get-go. And we've worked really hard to build up that trust with our audience. We actually measure that every year with, um, I don't know if you've heard of them, User Needs. They're an independent mm. company and they benchmark our online trust against other websites. So um, that's, you know, we can see that that trust is built up. And then what we've been able to do with this hybrid service, so Mike is Time brings parents to us, engages them with content, and then we can recruit um, from that audience tailored panels. And we recruit brand new for every project. Okay. We've got our own private platform. And what's important as well, parents join a panel because they have an interest in the product or service or yeah. the brand, and they see it as an opportunity to have their say and potentially make that product or service better for themselves. And I know you were chatting to Ray, who introduced me to you, you know, he's ex-chemistry. Mm. You were chatting about focus groups and the potential drawbacks. So our panel participants aren't remunerated. They aren't the serial responders. They're, yeah. they're not doing it for the money. They give the feedback because they have an interest yeah. in making the product or service better for themselves. And again, that's so so interesting to tap into that. And then with the marketing channels again to go... And when we do our insights projects, I suppose what's called is called a bulletin board format. You know, they aren't required to be online at the same time. That can really suit parents. They can fit it around family yeah, life. Of course, so it's a really. I think it's a different, unique way. We're really coming at it with the lens of marketing and brand and communications rather than the traditional kind of way of doing re market research focus groups. Um, I mean, I, I have to say, and I, I would say this, I know I'm biased, but we're absolutely blown away by the quality of the feedback and the suggestions and the responses we get um, mm. when we work on those projects for partners. It's it's amazing. what There's this very vocal, very engaged uh, set of consumers and yeah, they yeah. really want to help improve things. It's brilliant. Yeah, I'm sold. Um, for anyone listening, <laughs> uh, there's, look, there's loads of information on your website, but for people who listen, I had to have a little nosy around before we we spoke. So there's lots of information, lots of insight on there. But for anyone listening, just can you give listeners a flavour of what type of insight they might find there? Um, and actually, where do they go? Where should they go? If anyone's listening says, I'm curious about that, we want to target parents or we're in that space. Where can they find that information and what will they find? Yeah, so if you stop by our Parents and Brands website, so that's www.parentsandbrands.com, um, we do a lot of work with different partners in different sectors, so energy, retail, financial services, so on. So in our insights section, we call it, you'll find different bite-sized insights. 
where we've drilled into things with parents or we've created infographics looking at what they're looking at in terms of content, how they're engaging via social platforms. Looking at some of that behaviour is really interesting, as I I said, changes in family life. And then every month we add two new reports based on feedback from parents. Mm -hmm. All of our reports are free to download. They contain just a fraction of the data and feedback we gather. So anyone looking for a full in-depth report, on, we're happy to chat. And if you're a parent listening, do stop by My Kids Time as well, if you haven't before, and you'll find lots of useful content on there. Brilliant. And if anyone's interested in getting in touch with you, where's the best place to find out? Where can they reach out to you? Um, and also, you uh, know, the two of the reports you mentioned, so we talked about the, the, the family re- report mm. or study about COVID, but then the one that's coming out in a couple of weeks' time, where are they available and when will the ad format one be available? Yeah, so the post-COVID one is available already on our website, parentsandbrands.com, and the advertising one will be out um, towards the end of this month. We'll just be compiling it once we finish that um, survey. Oh, yeah, by the time this yeah. goes out then, because this will be going out next Friday, so so it'll be a week after that, so timing's quite good. Perfect. Yeah, and then I'm on LinkedIn. If you search my name or Parents and Brand, we've got a company page there as well, and I'm really happy to connect with anyone via LinkedIn. Brilliant. Okay, awesome. That's all she wrote, folks. We're out of time. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jill. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Dave. No problem. Um, a big thanks also to Andrea on sound and Kira in marketing. And as always, thanks to our partners in Irish Times Media Solutions. If you like this episode, then follow us, tell your colleagues. If you didn't like it, tell your enemies to listen. Just tell somebody. Listen back to some of our other great episodes. You'll find it by simply typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice. So until next time, stay safe. Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.